Hi, I'm James Atkinson and welcome to the conversation Pete Mitchum and I recorded with Steve Carpenter last year. Steve is Chief Operations Officer at Yakima Chief Hop Union, a global hop supplier headquartered in Yakima, USA. His family has been growing hops in the Yakima Valley since 1869, so it's fair to say the business of hop growing is in his blood. We talked about current trends in the hop sector and the challenges facing growers in a rapidly evolving craft beer market. I hope you enjoy the chat. Well, Steve Carpenter, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. It's great to be here. Maybe to start with, you could just uh, tell us a little bit about your background in the hop industry. Sure. Uh, currently, I'm the Chief Operations Officer for Yakima Chief Hop Union. Uh, I've been in that role really since uh, the, in- the inception of the company back in 2014 when Yakima Chief and Hop Union merged. And uh, prior to that, I was a Chief Executive Officer of Yakima Chief, uh, part of the companies that, that merged. Prior to that, uh, I grew up on a hop farm. Um, started farming right out of college uh, back in 1979. Uh, stayed on the farm, really was instrumental in helping to get Yakima Chief, a grower-owned hop company, started back in the uh, late 1980s. And uh, uh, over the course of time, decided to leave the farm and uh, take a role in the management of Yakima Chief. And currently, our uh, chief operations officer, I'm in charge basically of the supply chain production, uh, keeping supply and demand in balance. Uh, sustainability is part of my responsibility as well. Would have been an interesting ride in the hop world over the last, over that um, lifetime in the industry. Things have changed significantly since I was a young man growing hops back in the uh, late 1970s and early 1980s. Um, there wasn't a lot of transparency in the industry back then. There was a, uh, a dealer network that was kind of between the growers and the brewers. And uh, there wasn't a lot of transparency back then. And uh, now, uh, every harvest, I look forward to just, the, especially the craft brewers coming to the farms and crawling around the equipment and crawling around the harvest facilities, asking questions. Um, our theory is the more they know about what we do to produce quality hops and the more we know about what type of hops make great beer the better off we all are why wasn't there transparency in those earlier years you know i th- i think it was just the system back then the dealers were kind of the gatekeepers of the information and uh it wasn't always in their best interest that uh, the growers knew what the brewers were doing and vice versa I think that's changed now. I think all of the major dealers have a much more keen interest in uh, that. Steve, we often talk about, um, I guess, the, the symbiotic relationship now that we that we see between the brewers and the, the hop growers, um, and it's kind of a, a hand-in-hand, walking side-by-side, uh, much more sort of collaborative. And we, I, I think we kind of carbon date our industry by sort of... Um, pre or prior to Ringwood and then post prior to Ringwood. Was it similar um, in your situation that there were very few hops grown and now, and without putting you on the spot, how many were there then and, and how many different varieties are we sort of talking about now? That's a great point. When I was a young man growing up in the hop industry, 
the primary variety we grew in Yakima was the cluster variety. And we had a late strain, we had an early strain, but predominantly the industry was, they called them Yakimas, uh, the cluster. And uh, at some point along came Nugget and Galena that were going to revolutionize the hop industry because they were the high alpha hops back then. And instead of 7 to 8% alpha that we had with the clusters, uh, those hops had uh, 12 to up to 15%. And that just, we thought that was going to revolutionize the industry. Uh, really, the the turn that the industry has taken, uh, especially the craft industry that wants that pungency and that uh, strong dankness that some of these uh, uh, high resin aroma hops bring, uh, brought us varieties such as Amarillo and Simcoe and Mosaic and Citra. Uh, the things those varieties have in common is that 12 to 14 percent alpha but also the wonderful aromas and flavors that they bring to the beer. Now brewers have a lot more choices than they had back in the uh, 60s and 70s. And you spoke there about sustainability. Is there a point at which I guess we need to be a little bit careful not to grow too many different varieties, but by the same token not limit ourselves to too few? Yeah, it's it's a catch-22 because... Uh, what we find is our craft brewer customers, quite frankly, are artists. And they always want that extra color on their palate to make a different flavor, a different style of beer. So we do our best to accommodate those, knowing that it gets quite expensive when you're offering 140 to 150 different varieties and all the skews that go behind that. One of the things that we've also heard discussed a little bit later is the fact that you know hops are, are a bit of a finite resource at the moment and brewers have to be more careful about how they utilise them. Is that something you would agree with as, as, a, um, as a man in your position in the, hop, in the hop game? Yeah, well, they're certainly an agricultural crop and therefore we are a bit at the uh, whims of Mother Nature in terms of what we produce. But I think over time we've developed a more efficient supply chain system where we're much better able to predict what our customers are going to need and to be able to produce that. It's obviously a tremendous waste on both sides of the equation to be on one hand uh, short of a certain valuable hop variety, but it's also wasteful to be long in it as well because those cost money to produce. So a big part of what I do for YCH is to keep the... Uh, uh, that supply in balance with demand. Without naming any uh, particular breweries or any, any culprits, but Steve, do you think there is perhaps a feeling that some brewers are using more hops than what they need to and that there is perhaps uh, a knowledge to come that perhaps if you use them differently, you could, you could get away with using less to get the same effect in the beer? As a craft beer lover, I have a theory that... Uh, the way to make great beer is just to add more hops. <laughs> so I have a bias, I guess, to answer that question. But, yeah, I think we're about um, what we see with the craft industry where they're using, uh, and, and forgive the, the American expression of, of pounds per barrel, uh, but uh, where they're using two, three, four pounds per barrel for some of their hop-forward beers, what we're hearing from customers is the desire to be more efficient with their hopping. And so we've tried to come up with some innovative new products. Uh, we've got a product now called Cryo Hops. Um, our Lupulin product is really a concentrated hop product. The brewer typically will use 
half as much because it's got twice as much resin in it. Uh, and so their hop bill is about the same. They're paying about the same for the hops. But what we see them getting is more efficiency. And they're getting, in, in essence, free beer when they produce a bas- batch of beer because they don't have to throw as much away. So we see a lot of demand from that. And, and by having a good collaborative relationship with our customers, we're able to uh, listen to them and try to come up with products that are uh, more efficient and, and provide more hop-forward flavors and aromas to the uh, hop-forward beers they're trying to produce. You talk about the relationship with the brewers. How does that actually manifest itself? Is it them visiting? Is it you visiting them? Is it conferences like this where you get an opportunity to just sit down and natter over a beer? How does that actually work? Yeah, it's all of the above, really. We've been very lucky in the Yakima Valley. Uh, One of our grower owners decided to start a brewery a couple years ago. And so we spent a lot of time out there. Our technical solutions team will spend a lot of time out at Bellbreaker just collaborating on, on how to uh, get hop flavors and aromas into the beer in the most efficient manner possible. Uh, so, so that's been a great opportunity. We've got lots of customers all across North America and really the entire world, Australia included, that are trying some of our new products and giving us feedback into what's working and what's not working. So it's, it's all very valuable to have that uh, culture of collaboration so we can figure out better ways to get uh, the hops into the beer. If our customers are making great beer, they're going to sell more beer. And if they're selling more beer, we're going to be able to grow more hops to uh, help them out. Do you think um, the Lupulin powder product is something that can ultimately replace the use of hops in the brewing process or is it just something that should be used to supplement hops? I I think a little bit of both. Uh, What we're seeing is uh, some of our customers who are really targeting a hop forward beer, it's really a a good alternative, a good option for them. Uh, Others who are making uh, lager style beers, Pilsner, less hop forward beers, uh, it's probably not a good product for them. It's probably something that's that's they're better off using kind of the traditional hopping uh, method. But uh, we're, we're trying to accommodate as many of our customers as possible, and this is one that uh, we see growing. But are they making 100% uh, lupulin powder beers, or are they tending just to use it as like a seasoning to go on top of the of, you know a, a base of, of um, traditional hop- hopping? Good, good question. A little of both. Uh, some are using just a straight cryo beer. Some are using uh, a combination of uh, kind of a traditional hopping method and the cryo as well. It just depends on what they're trying to create. Do you have a view on what you think you know, has yielded the most effective results? I think in terms of efficiency, uh, the ones that are using um, a higher percentage of the lupulin beer are being able to recover more beer and... Uh, get more uh, beer out of the tap handles and, and to the consumers. Uh, that, that's a trend we've seen from most customers who have used it, and, and it varies. We're doing um, a collection of uh, data from customers who are willing to share the results of what they've seen with the product, and we're compiling that as we speak. And uh, it seems to be the trend that uh, the folks that are making the hop-forward beers are the ones that are most interested in our lupulin product. So Steve, we've seen, we've gone from fresh or wet hop flowers, we've gone from whole cone, we've gone to dried, we've gone to pallets, we're moving now, you know, hop uh, extracts and isomerized tetra products and that sort of thing, lupulin powder, what's next? 
Boy, that's a great question. I, I know that uh, one of my early mentors in the industry, uh, Chuck Zimmerman, who developed a lot of uh, of the uh, public and uh, laid the foundation for uh, some of the private proprietary hop varieties, he theorized that someday uh, our technology would be uh, sufficient so that we can actually pull apart all of the parts of the hop and then kind of put it back together and, if you will, make a custom blend uh, depending on what, you know, what the, uh, uh, the brewer wants to make. So uh, like I, a spice rub or a, a, a Cajun season mix? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I don't think we're quite there yet, but who knows? Maybe that's where we're headed next. Is there any view among brewers that, you know, using a product like lupulin powder kind of ruins the sort of romantic notions associated with using traditional hops? I think that a lot of the craft brewers, uh, especially with pure resin extract and advanced products, there's kind of a stigma that goes with that. You know, a lot of them, well, that's corporate beer. That's how... Cheating. Yeah. And I think... We're seeing less of that as some of the smaller craft brewers get larger and get focused on efficiency and uh, how they can make the same hop-forward beer only using less raw materials or using them more effectively. So I think that's starting to dissipate a little bit, that stigma that's been out there. There's still some small craft brewers that just flat you know, won't even try something like that because uh, they want to use the traditional Type 90 pellets. And that's fine, too. You know, I I think everyone deserves the right to make the decisions that are going to benefit them and their their beer drinkers uh, uh, the best. Steve, you haven't been in Australia long, so it's probably an unfair question without notice. But uh, before you arrived, what was your, I guess, your your impression or your knowledge of of the Australian, um, say, independent beer scene, uh, as it specifically, I guess, relates to our our hops and and the unique hops that we we have in Australia? And then in the time that you've been here and had a chance to do a little bit of a visit, um, uh, tell us a little bit about the way you've seen things. Yeah, this is my first visit to Australia, but not my first introduction to Australian beer uh, through various people I've known down here. I've, I've tried quite a few of the beers, and I've been absolutely impressed uh, with, with the flavors um, and, and the, uh, the quality of the beer that's being produced down here. Um, these uh, brewers down here are ever bit as passionate as brewers in the States or Europe or other parts of the world. And they're making some absolutely amazing beers. So I haven't been disappointed. Had to take a quick break yesterday from the beer drinking because kind of overdid it the first couple days I was here. (laughs) But absolutely fantastic beer. And uh, like we believe, uh, you know, our distributor here at Bentani and at YCH Hops, we really believe great beer starts with great raw materials. So uh, I know there's another product called malt that goes into the beer. That's great. You can't have beer without it. But uh, we think that hops are really what provides the, the, the wonderful flavors and aromas in the beers. And we're just happy to play a small part in uh, getting that to our customers. We've seen in the U.S. market the rate of uh, growth of the craft beer sector has slowed dramatically in the last year or two. Um, how has that affected your business and the forecasting that you have to, to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the craft segment's still growing. Uh, I think just about any 
industry would would be envious to have you know four five six percent growth but the challenge to us is trying to keep supply and balance with demand and our customers you know they're uh, bought hops and other raw materials based on the assumption that growth would continue to be 15 to 18 percent and that's not happened so a big part of our challenge is to uh, and as a grower owned company we're kind of uniquely positioned uh, I think to work with our growers to get our acreage right varieties like uh, citra that's a little more difficult to grow than uh, say mosaic or some of the other proprietary varieties we still have uh, significant plantings going in the ground to keep up with demand. Um, other varieties, uh, Cascade would be a great example. Uh, we're tapping the brakes on that right now and pulling some acreage out of the ground and, and replacing them. So it certainly affects our business. Uh, our growers uh, are very passionate about great beer as well. Uh, so we work with them to do what's ever necessary to keep that, that balance always out there. Uh, Galaxy Hop is probably the one that probably accidentally we've kind of I guess hung out our shingle um, yep. in, in terms of it, it's the one that's I guess made Australia proud in, in the brewing industry. Sure. Um, is it still uh, getting the same love in the States that it has been in the last few years or, or again are we now starting to okay that's nice but what else have you got for us? Yeah I, I think it, it Galaxy is a great hop it's uh, obviously as you as you know a proprietary variety down here that hop products of Australia controls our access to that variety uh, is uh, less than it was I'll just put it that way Uh, they've they've made a business decision to kind of keep that within theirs we understand that we've got a couple varieties that are the same up in the states over time I go back to the comment I made earlier you know these uh, brewers are really artists and they're always looking for something new but I think varieties like Galaxy, like Simcoe, like Mosaic are always going to be around because they, just because of the, the brilliant flavors and aromas that they bring to the beer. And Galaxy is certainly one of that. Uh, we still have a, a fairly high demand for that variety in, in uh, North America as well. I guess what I was getting at is it is it perhaps not the best thing to um, I guess put all your eggs in one basket. Although I guess that particular hop has just garnered such a you know that kind of Je ne sais quoi. Like I say, I think it's a great hop. Uh, I think it brings some unique characteristics to beers, and I think it's always going to be around. But that's another thing those of us in the hop industry have to pay particular attention to is things change over time. Every variety has not only the unique characteristics it brings to the beer, but it also has uh, different uh, economic parameters as well, a lower-yielding uh, aroma hop is always going to cost more than a higher yielding hop. So it's something that we've tried to embed into our varietal development program is that factor as well. Uh, we have to look at the agronomics and make sure that it's, I think it's in the best interest of our customers and our growers to have varieties that uh, produce well and are economically viable long term. Are there any trends you're seeing in the beers in the U.S.? Obviously, we've seen um, the New England IPA take the world by storm. Um, Is that still the hottest thing in terms of hop-dominant beers? Yeah, I would say that's the the fad of the moment. Uh, Certainly, I enjoy a nice, uh, cloudy New England IPA. Uh, It's amazing that uh, in, in the States, you'll go into a brew pub that's been in business for eight or ten years and they all have their flagship IPA 
but they also have a session IPA, they've got an imperial IPA, they've got a, a dark IPA, uh, and it doesn't matter really how large the brewery is. They've got five or six different IPAs, so the hop-forward beers under that general category of IPAs still lead the way, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I, I think that's going to continue to be the, be the case. And you're certainly not calling for uh, brewers to make more yeast or, or malt-driven beers? Just keep adding more hops. That would be my solution. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. We'll let you get back to your day. Oh, thanks. I appreciate being here. Uh, good luck with uh, continued growth in the Australian craft industry and uh, keep up doing the great work reporting on it. That was Steve Carpenter. If you enjoy Radio Brews News and Beer is a Conversation, please rate us and leave a review on your favourite podcasting app, like iTunes. We look forward to joining you next time for another conversation about beer.